0: Wisconsin's Afternoon News is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee.
1: Here's John McCure. All right, hope your Wednesday's going pretty good. Strange story out of Louisville, Kentucky. So routinely in every state, agencies and the government go undercover and they go into businesses to make sure that labor laws are being followed. So recently... The feds went into several places in the southeast, all of southeast part of the United States. And when they went into a McDonald's restaurant in Louisville, the Department of Labor says they found two 10-year-old children working. So they're 10 years old. And then as they dove deeper, they found that sometimes those two 10-year-olds who worked there apparently regularly worked until 2 a.m. 10 years old Mm. work until 2 a.m.? What is 10 years old? Matzik, you you can answer this question probably better. Is that fourth grade?
2: Uh, Yes. Yeah,
1: roughly. Four, 10 years old?
3: Yeah.
2: Fifth grade for me, as I recall.
3: You were an advanced student.
1: Oh, you look at were. me. No.
2: Uh, well, no,
3: there's a bleed over. Fourth, fifth grade. Can you imagine your fourth or fifth grader, first no, of that, off, working at a McDonald's? Like, that's like my daughter Riley next year at this time. Well, she'd be nine, I guess. But <laughs> working cool, at a so McDonald's.
2: Enough. Here's the what's, what? You say working. Here's what's even more jarring. Uh... These little ones were volunteering. They weren't even being paid. Yeah. I actually
3: think Riley would be more competent than some of the McDonald's workers I've come across in my life.
1: I got one near me, and I only go to McDonald's a couple times a year. And uh, the one near me, I I went last time, and they totally screwed up my order. I mean, like half of what was in the bag was... For the better? uh, No. It's never for the better. (laughs) No. Although there was an apple pie in there, I think, and I did not order that. That's a win, though. Yeah. But (laughs) I ordered... And I, I now I know well enough that I don't drive home with the bag of food. I pull off to the side and look, but then you got to get out of your car and go inside. But
2: <laughs> well, that's only if there's something wrong with it.
1: Which there always. Oh, you do, you're <laughs>
3: supposed to throw pickles at the drive-through window. It works.
1: Yeah, drive back around and yeah, I should have stayed at the window and checked my food <laughs> before I went back in. But instead, you pull over to the side. Then you either have to drive around or go back in. Then then I feel about to go back in. I'm like, got my bag here. My stuff's not in here. Um, I know it's not your fault, Mr. Guy with the headset thing, because you weren't the person at the window or the person behind the counter filling the order, but can you help me with this?
2: It takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to take your order, process your order, hand it to you, and take your payment.
1: There's a lot going on. These people aren't saving lives. They're not putting rockets into space or operating on people's open heads. Well, that's why 10-year-olds can
3: work and volunteer their time to do so.
2: But here's what's also surprising to me. that they, The D- Department of Labor found three different franchises who were doing this in Kentucky. And it was something like 300 children, as they're saying. So 14- and 15-year-olds who have been working and also not – and working overtime and not getting paid for this – but I just remember, like, 16 was, like, the age where you went and got a job. Unless you were, like, 12 or 13 and you got a paper route. Yeah, or like a caddy. Back in the day. You'd be
3: a caddy at a golf course when you were
1: 13. So the elephant in the room is that this was all in Kentucky at numerous <laughs> locations. You're a Kentucky girl. Take us inside this. What the hell is going on in Kentucky? I will tell
2: you, as soon as we started talking about this, I'm like, in Louisville? I wonder where these locations are. The Department of Labor has not released the specific locations. But these three three franchisees have locations in Kentucky, Indiana, Ohio, Maryland. So it's a lot of stores that you could be seeing young ones handing you food. Is this a
1: Kentucky thing?
2: Did you I, work when you were like seven years old? <laughs> I didn't work when I was seven. My first job was at uh, the video store, the video rental store. Oh, nice one! Yeah, oh, good. If that's a great job to yeah. have as a teenager, that was good. How old and it, were you? Eleven? No, I was not. It's like a blockbuster. <laughs> like a blockbuster, but it was locally owned. It was okay. called Movies Tonight. Oh, yes. that's fun! Yes, I still have the T-shirt. I can wear it. Oh,
1: you should do that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
2: (laughs) things that you still have. I still have a bunch of derby shirts that I haven't subjected you to. Oh, it's derby week. It is derby week. I'm getting homesick. So Louisville just keeps getting in the news for really not great things. So, but I I was thinking I had friends in high school, though, but like 14 and 15 is freshman and sophomore year. To me, it's like we all started working our junior and senior years. And there was a Taco Bell and Zantigo's. There were a lot of fast food workers in my circle.
3: Well, I get it. And college didn't cost quite as much then for most students. So maybe there wasn't as much importance on getting that job early. Yeah. Um, I think my first job, real job, real job, was junior in high school. I could drive. So I worked at the Sunglass Hut in (laughs) Brookfield Square Mall. Well, I never told it you was guys fantastic. that. I bet you
2: met a lot of girls working at the sunglasses. It was a house. wonderful
3: oh, yeah. job. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a wonderful job.
2: That seems like a good teenage boy job. John, what was one of your very first jobs? How uh, old were job, you? My first job,
3: 16
1: years old, public library. I worked <gasps> oh, yeah. as a page. and I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I just figured something out. We have a Toronto on earlier in the show, and he said his high school kids can't get people to call him back about jobs. They're too old. Yeah, right. They want 10-year-olds. <laughs> Priced out of the market. <laughs> exactly. Too old. It's like hiring a senior citizen. <laughs> si- this... If you're in Kentucky and you're 17, they look at you like you're a senior citizen.
2: But it does break my heart on a certain level. That has to be parents who need to make ends meet. But it, the kids are being paid. Wasn't that part of it? Ideally, <laughs> yeah. But it, it just it, there are stories there behind why kids are working at ten years old.
1: They get probably got to bring home free burgers and fries.
2: Could be. Or you just smell like that.
1: Yeah, you could smell worse. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> it's four sixteen at WTMJ. <laughs> want to bring in ABC's Alex Stone, who's covering breaking news this afternoon from Atlanta. One dead, four injured in a shooting. And Alex, good afternoon. I suppose the headline here is that the suspect is still at large. Is that right?
0: That's right, yeah. The, the search is on right now. Shelter-in-place orders uh, were lifted a little while ago. Police in Atlanta saying that they don't think he's in the area anymore. They don't know where he is. Uh, it happened in Midtown Atlanta. A guy, who they say 24-year-old Dion Patterson, walked into a medical building today. Opened fire inside of the the waiting room uh, and then apparently carjacked somebody nearby, took off. They have since found that vehicle, but he is gone. So they think he is not in the area, but police say... The
3: shooting did occur inside the waiting room of that medical facility uh, where five individuals were shot. Unfortunately, a, a 39-year-old female has lost her life.
0: All of the uh, victims were women. Uh, the The one who died 39 years old, you heard there from police, they swarmed the office building. Why it went down there is not yet clear. There is a family member indicating that maybe Patterson wanted a medication that he was not being given, that he felt like he needed. Uh, but was there some connection to the victim, some other connection to the, the medical office? We don't know yet.
1: So they've had his name out there already, so clearly they knew who this guy was, but that's all we know as far as connection to the facility?
0: That is all we know right now, yeah. the um, They knew really quickly what, what his name was, which leads you to believe somebody there knew pretty quickly who it was, if it was a patient or an employee. Uh, quite clearly in surveillance images, he went into that specific office, opened up the door, is seen what looks like with a handgun, shooting into the, the people in the, the waiting room, and then he had a, a crossbody bag uh, across the front of him. Looks like he put the handgun into it and then walked out. So whatever it was, in that office, if it was getting a medication or something else, seems like it was targeted, and they very quickly knew his name.
2: Alex, is this medical center known for any sort of a specialty?
0: No, it's, uh, in fact, uh, one of our colleagues, uh, his doctor's office is in there, and a lot of people were getting medical treatment. It's a big, regular medical office. Uh, this guy was in the lobby. Sitting there next to a 7-year-old girl that's literally just got a cast on her arm and try and just help her
4: not freak out
0: so i mean people were getting what you know at uh, one of these medical offices were getting treatment on all kinds of different things and uh, they heard the gunfire and then they locked down but again it, it specifically looks like he was going into one office we don't know what their specialty was or uh, the, the front of the building says urgent care and other medical offices so
1: uh, we don't know in that office what they were doing Alex, what do we know about the conditions of those that were shot?
0: We know that they are, in fact, uh, there was an update a moment ago uh, from the the hospital. We know that at least some of them, it appears, uh, have somewhat serious injuries, others uh, maybe less so. Specifics on it, uh, I don't know, but uh, but four of them uh, went
1: to hospitals. ABC's Alex Stone is with us this afternoon doing double duty. Alex, we've talked to you the past couple of days about the situation in the Houston suburb where several people were shot and killed, and that suspect has now been taken into custody. What do we know about that?
0: Yeah, hiding in a closet under laundry. Uh, when the SWAT team went in last night uh, in the home of a family member and... His wife or partner, it's up for debate what their relationship is. Um, and another person who is in the home, they're under arrest now, accused of helping him hide out. Uh, she was the, the wife or partner in court a little while ago, and they said she too is a Mexican national. They don't know if she's in the country legally or not. They're working on that. We know that the suspect, Francisco Orpeza, was not, is not in the country legally. Um, the, the town where he was found, cut and shoot. The, the name's in Texas, Cut and Shoot Texas, uh, about 20 miles away from uh, where he ran away, his home. They found a weapon. It is an AR. They think it's probably the one used in the murders, but they don't know for sure. Police send. We may have the weapon, but we have to wait for ballistics so we uh, i can't confirm so five counts of murder it's apparently going to go to a grand jury so those charges uh, may very well change and be upgraded at some point by the way they uh, they believe one that the wife or partner was helping him hide the entire time even though she acted like she was cooperating with him and two you remember earlier this week when they did lockdowns of the schools they thought somebody in the area was him they came out and said no guy who looked like him wasn't him yeah, everybody's good. Now they admit that was him and they knew it was him, but they didn't want him to know that, uh, that they were on his trail. Some people in the area are saying, eh, we don't know what we think about that. But you're telling us that you did know he was in the area, but you were telling us it wasn't him and, and everybody was safe. But uh, they say that was him.
1: Well, yeah, and there's going to be criticism that continues also, Alex, because police were called several times, several 911 calls, and nobody showed up until after the shooting and the killings took place.
0: Yeah, family members say five times they called on Friday night. Nobody came saying there's a drunk guy out here. It's 1130 at night, firing off an AR, and they didn't come. And other neighbors say that's pretty normal that, one, people shooting off weapons, but, two, calling 911 in their town of Cleveland, Texas, and getting no response from the county sheriff's department. So a lot we don't know there as well.
2: What a mess! And will he be part of the American judicial process?
0: He will be. Yeah, this will uh, overtake any deportation. The uh, the sheriff, local sheriff, saying that he is in the county jail and will remain locked up for the rest of his life. Granted. He hasn't gone to trial yet or any of that. A jury hasn't decided, but the, the sheriff says he's not going anywhere. Um, deportation would only happen again for a fifth time uh, if he were to be found not guilty and released, but uh, likely in Texas, probably the death penalty. But, uh, yeah, that, that'll be what they'll go after, most likely, but at least life in prison and uh, will not be deported.
1: ABC's Alex Stone. Thank you so much, Alex. You got it. Next Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ.
0: All
1: right, let's get to our friend Ann Sayers, the Travel Secretary. She is sponsored by TravelWisconsin.com. Ann, hello, how are you?
4: I am doing great. So ready to do this thing today. I
1: know. Let's do it. So it's May, and the weather's turning our direction, and we got a lot of stuff to talk about.
4: We really do, from outdoor festivals and events, celebrations. We have so much to do in Wisconsin when the weather warms up.
2: Oh, especially if you like fishing, you can cast a line on the fishing opener in Price County.
4: Exactly. Fishing is a time-honored pastime here in Wisconsin. And opening day of the season is this weekend. It is going to be so full of excitement and joy. You can join other anglers, that includes yours truly, in this excitement Mm -hmm. for the Wisconsin Governor's Fishing Opener Saturday, May 6th. This annual celebration of the Heritage of Fishing is taking place in Price County this year. That's specifically the Phillips Chain of Lakes. Everyone is invited to visit Price County. You can join in on the fun. The Family Fishing Day event is designed to inspire the next generation to get out and enjoy the great outdoors. It's a full day of family-friendly entertainment on Saturday at the Elk Lake Park. That's in Phillips again. It also includes a community fish fry in the park, and there is really no better way to kick off the season than enjoying a crispy fish fry.
1: Oh, that sounds good. Ann Sayers is with us on WTMJ. Something pretty cool happened in the Kettle Moraine.
4: Yeah, you know, if you're looking to pick up a new outdoor hobby, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources has an upcoming event that you must put on your calendar. It's Out We Go Green. That's Out W-I, Go Green. It's a day designed to introduce people of all ages and experience levels and abilities to different outdoor activities. So the Wisconsin State Park staff and other organizations will be leading clinics and demonstrations on activities that maybe you haven't tried before, archery, nature photography, rock climbing, mountain biking, and so much more. Out We Go Green is happening on Saturday, May 13th at the Kettle Moraine State Forest Southern Unit. That's near the Village of Eagle in Waukesha County. The event's green in all senses. Attendees are encouraged to try new recreation activities, learn about conservation, and to learn more, check out the DNR's website for more details.
2: And as we get into the warmer weather and our eyes turn to the skies, there's a place in Wisconsin to bring your binoculars for fantastic bird watching in Dodge County.
4: Am I the only one who has a countdown to migration? <laughs> I, I love birding. So, you can celebrate one of Wisconsin's most unique natural assets during the Horicon Marsh Bird Festival that's May 12th through the 14th. The festival is a weekend of family-friendly activities and educational experiences, and actually it's great for both first-time birders and long-time lovers of the pastime or people who love it but are bad at it like me. So activities <laughs> include intimate guided tours, paddling, and trips to the, on Old Marsh Road. Uh, Horkhawn Marsh is an ecologically important destination. It's managed by both the state and the federal government. It is the largest freshwater cattail marsh in the entire country, and it is a very popular uh, stopping ground for migrating species from Canada geese all the ducks, and many more. There's more than 300 species of birds that have been spotted in the marsh, including some of the very rarest in all of Wisconsin. So you can discover what makes Horicon Marsh so very special by getting out there during that Horicon Marsh Bird Festival.
1: So, Anne, birders are flocking to southeast Wisconsin this week to look at that flame-colored tanager. It's a rare bird. It's only been seen two other states and then the country it was here. I was flocking to that area because I was hoping to see you with maybe like a safari hat and some knee <laughs> knee length boots and binoculars.
4: I don't even know if you'd recognize me. My binoculars would never leave my face.
2: <laughs> and the only way to get better at birding is practice, practice, practice. That's right.
4: Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Hey, quickly, yep, no,
4: I'll be looking.
2: quickly tell
1: us about the vintage racing in Elkhart Lake.
4: Yeah, I mean I don't know if people realize how very cool this is. This is coming up Spring Vintage Festival. It's the weekend of May nineteenth to the twenty first. The kickoff celebration of the 2023 racing season at Road America. We are so lucky to have that. It's a packed schedule of action at the iconic Sheboygan County Raceway. They call it America's National Park of Speed for a reason. That's something to look for.
1: Good stuff. For more information, check out travelwisconsin.com. Ann Sayers is the Travel Secretary. It's always good to catch up, Ann. Thank you so much.
4: Same. Thank you.
1: It is. 444 WTMJ. Tim Sheehy, the President of the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce, is with us live in the studio up next. Tim Sheehy is the President of the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce, and Tim is with us live in the studio. Tim, thank you so much for being here. John, good to be with you and Sandy. Uh, So good news that everybody's been talking about and leaders here have wanted for a long time, and that is that there will be the ability in southeast Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, in Milwaukee County specifically, to increase the sales tax if you're Milwaukee County, to implement a sales tax if you're the city of Milwaukee. It will need to be done, it looks like, through a referendum. Uh, City leaders don't like this idea, the referendum part of it. Why is that?
5: Yeah, so the bill's actually being introduced uh, tomorrow. Uh, There's a hearing uh, in Madison, which I'll testify at. But you're right, it does propose to give the city and the county the ability to implement a sales tax, but through a referendum. Here's why I think that's not the best way to do it. The city and county export $7.6 billion of personal income every year to residents who don't live here. So the only people that can vote on a referendum are residents of the city of Milwaukee in that case. Forty percent of the commercial of the property owners are commercial property owners. They can't vote on it. None of the visitors can vote on a a, um, referendum. And I think it's really important that we understand the sales tax is going to be used to make sure that Milwaukee doesn't flow down the river of bankruptcy. It's important not just to the residents of the city, it's important to the hundreds of thousands of people that come here to work the millions of people that come here as visitors, and the property owners that are here. That's why we have elected representative government, and that's why I think it needs to be the common council and the mayor and the county executive and the, co- and the co- county board.
1: I hear what you're saying. I talked to a city leader on Monday who told me it's quite simply because we think it'll get defeated because it's too complicated to put a clean question that adequately explains things on the ballot. Isn't it the job of city leaders to educate and to do the work and to put it in to make sure that those that will vote understand? You
5: know, unlike California, where everything is a referendum, in Wisconsin, we live on referendum, on, on representative government. So it's the job, I think, of the people to elect. Uh, elected officials who make these decisions. We didn't vote in by referendum the Miller Park sales tax. We didn't vote in the half-county sales tax we had by referendum. And I think this is a smart way to do it, to elect people who take these complex problems, not that the public can understand, but they can make a decision, and then we hold them accountable for that. That's representative government. That's what we have.
1: So should we never have a referendum? If we have representative government. I think, I
5: think refer, refer, referendums should be really limited. The The best example are school referendums, where the people voting in that school district are identifying a referendum. When you have a referendum like this, there are so many constituencies that don't get a chance to vote in a referendum.
1: But you can say the same thing in a school district. I mean, I get to vote in Menominee Falls, and I don't have kids in the district anymore.
5: You, you don't have kids, but you get a chance to vote on the referendum because it's in your, it's in a sense, your school district. So, again, I think that we have put so much time and effort in an elected government that they're best suited to make these decisions, not over the public, but on behalf of the public.
1: If this goes to referendum, and it's going to, it looks like, how real is your fear that it will be defeated.
5: Well, I think we'll have to do a really um, good job of laying this out because it is very complicated. Again, not that voters can't understand, but it's very complicated. And I still believe there's an opportunity to make sure that this is not a a referendum, but in a sense, it's a referendum by the County board and the common council and the mayor and the County executive.
1: Tim, you're a smart guy Yep. and these leaders are smart people. I I feel like we need to give voters more credit. We need to educate them and, can't can't we do that?
5: That's very fair. But here, here's a referendum question, right? So you would be asking the voters of the city whether they want to put a sales tax in to um, sunset, or put a sales tax in to make sure that the current people in the pension plan get the pension that they've signed up for. New employees go into a new plan. There's a 30-year amortization at a 6.0. discount rate. Now, in addition to that, there are about a half another dozen other provisions. So I'm looking at the person in the voting booth who's going to be in there for a half hour reading this, and the guy behind him is going to go, hey, are you done? No, I just finished the one for the city. Now i got to vote on the one for the county. So it's not that voters can't understand it. It's just a complex question to lay out in a referendum versus do you want your taxes to go up or down for your school building?
1: It is complicated. There's no doubt about that.
2: What are some other actual benefits that you see? Or is this just sort of a no-brainer? What's the simplest way? It, to-
5: it's it's not a no-brainer. It's very complex to to figure out how to use this sales tax to put to rest a pension liability that the city has and the, and the city taxpayers have for the next 30 years. But the benefit is we don't go bankrupt. And that's a very real possibility if we don't get the sales tax in place, that the city could go bankrupt. And if you want to know what happened to that, just take a picture out of Michigan. Detroit went bankrupt. It affected Michigan's bond rating and the entire state. So this is not just a grenade that goes off in Milwaukee. It will affect the entire region's economy and the state's economy. And I think we want to give it the best chance to succeed so Milwaukee doesn't end up in bankruptcy.
1: Tim Sheehy is with us, the president of the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce.
2: So we have some good news, some very simple news. Wisconsin is in the top 10 of the new U.S. News and World Report. We're number yeah, eight. That's We're right. number eight. No, it's fun and uh, certainly a pride point, And we've had some fun com- having conversations about it today. Does this benefit our region to be listed like this or is it just sort of like a who's who like does it does it really matter doesn't it, it, it absolutely
5: does and to bring it back to the conversation that we just had one of the reasons we rank eighth is because we rank seventh in fiscal stability and one of the reasons Illinois ranks 36th is because its fiscal t- stability has gone out the window so those two things are related our quality of life and our fiscal stability are related and it's great to see Wisconsin number eight on the list
1: For sure. It is a good list. Uh, Concordia Market just opened at Mitchell International Airport. New shop. They're going to sell local products, uh, which is really cool. When was the last time Tim Sheehy bought something at the airport? You fly a lot.
5: I I do. And the only thing I get at the airport when I go through there, unfortunately, is I fill up my water bottle. Um, I'm I'm just not a big shopper at an airport, but I think it's great because a lot of people are, and uh, it's hard to get food on planes, so it's great to have those amenities at the airport.
1: Why do they sell suitcases at the airport? Pretty much, if you're at the airport, you probably already have a suitcase, don't you? Uh,
5: that's a good. That's a good question. It's probably um, why they sell suntan lotion at the beach. <laughs> What
2: if, what if you shop at the oh, airport you and get so out? many no items? You shop at the airport and get so many items that you have to pack a second yeah. suitcase. I,
3: I never understood the Brooks Brothers. I really didn't. I, I, I probably didn't need a suit. Maybe I got a little mustard on my dress shirt. I'll find a dress shirt. <laughs> well, they somewhere. went out of
1: business, so yeah. apparently no one else understood it either. Very good point. Or the, the golf shop. The the golf clothing shop. <laughs>
3: right. Well, you lose your luggage now, and you got that golf trip planned. You need someplace to shop. Well, they
1: ought to have a Target at the airport. I mean, if you lose <laughs> your luggage, what you need is a Target or a Walgreens. There you go. Yeah. Not a Brooks Brothers story. Exactly. What's your uh, good news of the week this week, Tim? So,
5: the good news of the week is Johnson Control's announcement that they're putting $1.65 million over the next three years into UPATH. And to top that off, June 16th to the 18th, the Lakefront Festival of the Arts is back after a three year hiatus.
1: That indeed is good news. Good news for our city. Uh, Tim, you're always accessible to us, and we really appreciate that. Thank you.